It's time for the Crunch Time Plays Podcast, where we talk all things sports from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your host, Bennett Ganey. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome in to another edition of Crunch Time Plays. Today, we're talking the PGA Tour with Ryan Labner, senior writer from Golf Channel. Going to recap the weekend, the PGA Tour, and look ahead to some future tournaments and Right now, Ryan's joining us via phone. He's on his way to TPC Sawgrass and probably one of Bryson DeChambeau's drives, probably about to hit his window on the way there. But uh, we're just so thankful to have Ryan today and that he's safe. And Ryan, how are you? I hope you're doing well. Uh, it's great to be with you, Bennett. That's a, that's a, that was a good joke about, about Bryson. I, I'm looking forward to seeing what he's going to do this week at TPC Sawgrass. Normally, that's a golf course that that really confines players. It's one of the most claustrophobic experiences that these PGA Tour players face all year. And you've got a guy who can hit it 350, 375 off the tee. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to see uh, kind of his style of play this week. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And I want to ask you about, and we were talking before we came on the air, about just the emotion that he showed over the weekend on six, the drive he hit with all the crowd was egging him on there. Just kind of what did you see from that and how, how – just take us through his mindset of trying to overpower a golf course. Yeah, just on the on the six hole. This was a, a scenario that he's been talking about for months now. I mean, dating back to last fall, he had kind of floated the possibility of taking the shortcut route on kind of that horseshoe par five that's so famous at Bay Hill. Uh, it's about a 340 carry and and John Daly had kind of tried it and ended up making it just an enormous number. And so heading into the week, I thought he would try it, but only if he was well out of contention, you know, where if, if he was going to miss the cut, um, it, it wouldn't matter. And he could just kind of go bombs away if he got the right wind direction or, you know, if he's in 40th place and it just didn't matter. I was really surprised that he attempted to do it in the position that he was in the golf tournament. I think on, on Saturday in particular, he was, you know, one or two shots back at the time. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't believe he was actually going to do it because if he doesn't pull it off, it's basically a, a, a retee from that position. And you're looking at, at probably making a double bogey, uh, which is going to affect your position in the tournament. And so for him to have talked about it all week, I've been talking about it for months now, and then for him to actually do it, and then pull it off. I think you could just see it in his reaction. There was so much pent up expectation, both externally and internally. And for him to hit it the way that he wanted to, I think he was like 377 off the tee. Um, he did it again on on Sunday, where he left himself, you know, inside a hundred yards into the par five, and just taking a route that was just unfamiliar to to everyone. It was such a cool spectacle and. I, I saw a lot of people say, "Oh, you know, he still missed the green with his second shot. You know, he only made a he only made a birdie. You know, it's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal because when you get into the nitty gritty of like the strokes gain numbers and what he was able to do on that hole, he was basically gaining a shot on the field by taking that route that he took. And what did his eventual margin of victory be at, at Bay Hill? It was a shot." So, I mean, every tour player is looking for these little marginal gains that they can pick up because players at that level are so good 
And so for Bryson to be able to pick up a full shot on the field with one epic blast over the pond on six, I thought it was really cool. And it just, it just kind of shows the way that he's, he's changing the game. He's such an interesting character. Um, and the PJ tour is, is better having him as be one of their, one of their best players. I wanted to follow up on that point that you made about him changing the game. And have, have we ever seen anything like this before in the game of golf where a player is as dynamic as he is trying going through the numbers. I know he talks to his caddy, Tim Tucker about win vectors and it's just the, just some dynamic things out on the golf course. Have we ever seen anything like this before? I don't think a player has ever come across, uh, come along like, like Bryson. And the reason I say that I've been covering him for a long time, but all the way back to, to junior golf. And, and even, even at that level, he was kind of this, this eccentric personality where, you know, back in, in high school and college, it was all about single length shafts and, um, he's trying all sorts of weird things on the green, like vector putting, and he's got these really oversized grips. And I remember when he won the U.S. Amateur, he was like soaking his golf balls in Epsom salt to to make sure that they had the proper weighting. Like it was a bunch of really weird stuff. And and that's and that's all it was. It was just kind of oh, here's this quirky character. You know, he's kind of harmless. He's going to win. You know, he's going to win some tournaments, but it's not going to be this total game changer. And at the PJ Tour level, I mean, he's a he's a super successful player, right? Like he's he's won almost every single year that he's been out on the PJ Tour. He's won the Memorial Tournament. Like heading into heading into fall 2019, like he was a really good player, and that's never changed. But what he noticed was that there was this void at the top level where if he could incorporate some of the elements of the world long drive circuit, which has always kind of been viewed as a as a sideshow, right? Like these, just kind of like these carnival characters who can, or were just absolutely jacked and swinging out of their shoes and, and just try to hit it all over the place. If he could implement some of those elements on the PJ tour, he thought that he was going to gain a significant advantage. And there was certainly some uh, skeptics and some detractors when he first went out on this, on this journey, but he's proven himself to be successful. Like you don't win at Detroit, like he did last year, you're just bombing it over dog legs without it being successful. You don't win at Wingfoot, which is one of the most notoriously difficult golf courses on the planet. If this isn't going to be successful, you don't win at at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. If this is not going to be a successful method, he's, he's changing the game in that he's, he's forcing his peers to think differently. Like Bryson is not yet a week in week out dominating presence. Like, I don't think he's ever going to be that because he's just, he's just too erratic. And this style of play, you know, if he's not hitting it on the screws, he's, he's going to be all over the map. And that's kind of what we've seen since Wingfoot. He hasn't played particularly well since the U S open, but when he does hit it well, and when he does putt well, he's, he's probably going to win just because he does have such a significant advantage. And so he's kind of created this speed race on the PGA tour where everyone is trying to maximize their launch conditions and their speed and kind of push their bodies to the limit. That's the way that he's changed the game. I don't think we're, we're going to get to a point on the PGA tour where every player hits at 350, 375. I don't think we're going to get there just because I don't think the vast majority of the membership just has that capability to pack on muscle and speed like Bryson did. Um, 
but he's changed the way people think about it. And I think, I think that's really important that there are different styles of play um, every week. I think that's what, what makes for such an interesting contrast. You mentioned uh, what he's been doing, you know, on and off the golf course to try to improve his game. Can you, can you explain for the, for the listeners just what exactly has he done to kind of change his body and his game? I know he, you know, was drinking six protein shakes a day and different things like that. Just can you, can you explain just kind of in a, 30,000 foot overview of what he's been doing to change his body and change his game. So sure. So in, in fall 2019, Bryson said that he was going to come back a, a totally different uh, player and, and person and, and to add so much distance and become the longest player on the PGA tour, which was his stated goal. He added 40 or 50 pounds of both muscle and fat. And to do it, he was just, eating basically like the Michael Phelps Olympic diet. We're just eating everything in sight. And he did like, he came back and he was unrecognizable. He was two shirt sizes bigger. His biceps were absolutely enormous. His neck was like two sizes bigger. Like he, he just, he just looked like a totally different person. I'm not sure ever in the history of the game, we have seen a player undergo such a drastic transformation with his body and his game in such a short period of time. And of course, that's going to lead to the inevitable questions of, you know, is it safe to put on that much muscle mass in that short of period of time? Is it healthy to put on so much muscle mass in such a short period of time? I, I think the jury's still out on that. He's, I think, 27 or 28 years old. Like, we're going to have to see how his body holds up to, to putting on all of this strain um, over the next couple of years. Um, but, but he's done it. I mean, he, he said he was going to put on 40 or 50 pounds and he went out and did it. He did become the longest player on the PJ tour last year. His driving distance average was, was a touch over 320. That's, that's the longest in PJ tour history. Like you have to give him credit. He, he has put in the time he's put in the thought he's put in the effort to do exactly what he said he is going to do. And it's just this drastic transformation. That's really hard to fathom. And I think has the respect of his peers because it's not just all this bluster of, of what he's going to do and what he's going to look like. He, he actually did it and it, and it didn't take him that long. I mean, to, to have some of these gains, it only took him three to six months. This is a pursuit that would take mere mortals, you know, years, but, but Bryson is such a fanatic both on the range trying to maximize his speed and in in the weight room pushing his body to the brink that, that he was able to do it in such a short period of time and he's already seen the dividends of that. Yeah, I mean, no doubt there. And one of the things that I think, like you mentioned him not being a, a brute force, you know, week after week on the PGA Tour, I mean, he's, he's first in driving distance, but he's 128 this year in driving accuracy. And – but a lot of the fans think that since he drives the ball so far, he can, you know, play out of the rough and different things like that from 50, 60 yards away from the green. How difficult a shot are those? And what do you have to do to be really good at those kind of shots? Well, the Bryson's, Bryson's huge advantage. And a lot of people think, oh, you, to, to quote unquote Bryson proof, proof a golf course, you just have to make it as long as possible. That's the exact opposite of what you want to do because the longer hitters are going to have even more of an advantage if you're playing at 77 or or 8,000 yards, which 
it seems like the direction we're going to be going with with golf courses because he's still going to be the farthest down there, you know, and hitting hitting the the least amount of club into the greens. And so where Bryson's advantage really comes from is his steep angle of descent. You're you're talking about rough, certainly at, at the Wingfoot at, at you at the U.S. Open there, and last week again at Bay Hill, you have three, four, five inch rough. And so someone like you or myself, when we get into the rough and it's that thick, like we're just kind of advancing the ball forward. We're not really trying to get into the green. We're just not physically strong enough and have the mechanics to have a steep enough angle of descent to get the ball, not just out, but to get it up and to stop on greens that are really firm and really fast. And so Bryson was playing with Lee Westwood yesterday, who's, who's 20 years older. He doesn't have the swing speed anymore. You know, leave for his age at 47 years old. He still hits it plenty far, but they're they're hitting two or three clubs different into par fours, and that's an enormous difference. Especially if Bryson's coming out of the rough, where if he's hitting a, a nine iron out of the rough, and and Lee Westwood's hitting a six iron, I mean, those shots are just going to react so differently on the green. So that's where Bryson's advantage is coming from. It's coming from in the the par four scoring because he ate. He is able to get the ball to stop on on the greens coming out of the rough. It's coming on. He was he led the the field last week in par three scoring. Every par three at Bay Hill is between two hundred and two hundred and twenty five yards. Every single one of them. It's not a, it's not a great uh, uh, golf course in terms of par three variety. But Bryson's hitting mostly eight irons into these par threes. So he's hoisting it higher. He's getting it to stop. He's getting it closer to the hole. And, and that just makes such a huge difference. So I, you know, I, a lot of people look at just the 350-yard drives, and that's great, and it is going to give him a significant advantage. But it's really the shots that he's now able to hit out of the rough. He's so strong. He has such a steep angle of descent that he could just play it differently than, than every other player on the PJ Tour. That's where a lot of his hidden value is coming with this new uh, kind of brawny approach. You mentioned the... I want to ask you about the the mental side of things. I know golf's a, a mental game. It's just much as it is physical. And I saw a tweet from Jason Sobel. We'll try to pull it up here in just a second. But he was basically talking about how with the kind of mindset that Bryson has, it takes just as much mental strength that he does, you know, physical and here I, put, I got the tweet pulled up. It says, we understand what Bryson is doing from a physical standpoint, but it takes so much mental energy to play this way from practicing past sunset to calculating wind vectors to endlessly taking every shot. Nothing is easy, tiresome to watch, let alone play and succeed. I know it's tiring for me to watch. Just what, what is it like in, between him and Tim Tucker as they're discussing these shots? And, and what is it like for Tim Tucker? Is he, is he buying into all this? you know, analytics and stuff too. Is he, is he into all that as well? So Tim, Tim, Tim Tucker, interesting enough is, is a former uh, trained sniper. And so he has like a, this unique background where, where he, he kind of eats it up and he, he understands the language. Um, he's, he's very much into the precision aspect, which, which Bryson is, it's, you know, Bryson, it, it's not just, you know, way, just, just wail away on it and, and go find it. There's, there's a method to his madness and it's, it's very calculated. 
Um, it is very detail oriented, regardless of, of what it looks like. Like he's put so much thought and an effort into, into coming up with this plan. And it's not just the mental strength to, to execute what he's trying to do. It's the mental strength to, to block out all the noise that's surrounding him. Now, a lot of it is, is self-inflicted with, with kind of how Bryson talks in the media and, and what he puts on social media. Like I'm not excusing that that's he's, he's, he's bringing it upon himself. And he's kind of showed his his fragility at times where he, he can come across as a little bit of a head case. But it also takes an enormous amount of self-belief and inner strength and mental strength to be able to do what he's doing. Because a lot of players would, would either crumble from the pressure or just kind of work themselves into a tizzy and, and kind of flame out. And the fact that Bryson has been going this hard for this long I think you, you really you do have to to give him credit for that it, because it's it's not just a physical transformation. He's had to relearn how to how to attack golf courses as well and how to how to put in the time and how to train his body and how to do all the things in the weight room that he's doing in order to to push his body to the brink. You know, that that taps into what Bryson likes about the game. Bryson like on his off weeks, he doesn't he doesn't play golf. He doesn't go play with his buddies and, you know, drink beer and you know, just kind of breeze through a quick 18. Like, that's not what he does. Bryson's enjoyment and the reason why Bryson likes golf is the pursuit on the range. He's very much numbers oriented. His perfect day, his caddy told me after he won the U.S. Open, his perfect day is going to the range for eight hours and just working. Like, that sounds absolutely miserable to me. I've never been someone who wanted to go to the range and work on their game. But that's where Bryson derives his joy and his satisfaction is kind of putting in in that work. And that just takes, it's just a different mentality and a different mindset. And it, it clearly works for him. Hey, I mean, that's not something I want to do either. I do not want to spend eight hours on the range. I get bored just like after 15 minutes of just a 15 minute warm up, And I'm just satisfied going out on the golf course. If I can drive the ball 275, which is my average distance every time, if I can drive it that far and stay out of the trees, then I think that's a pretty successful day in my book. I'm totally, I'm totally with you. Like that's, that's my exact approach. I, I hate practicing, and, but, but Bryson, and I think that's probably a, a little bit rare on the PJ tour. I think you find a lot of players, uh, Jordan Spieth certainly comes to mind. Justin Thomas comes to mind. Ricky Fowler comes to mind. Rory comes to mind. They just want to get on the golf course and, and create and hit shots and score. Bryson is the exact opposite. Like he does, he really doesn't play practice rounds or play recreational golf he he plays on the range that's kind of his his laboratory and it's it's unfathomable to to someone like like me or you but but that's kind of how he's always been and i don't i don't see that ever changing because that's that's where his that's where his enjoyment comes from you mentioned uh jordan spieth and justin thomas i want to ask you about them next and start with jordan spieth he's had some really high finishes. He's been in the around the lead on the weekend, the last three or four tournaments. His game's really starting to improve, and his mental strength is really starting to improve as well. And he, he tied for third at the at the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, then he finished tied for fourth at Arnold Palmer and tied for fourth at Waste Management. He had a good week at the WGC at Concession. What does he need to do to kind of put it all together and try to win one of these tournaments? I think – he's he's almost like competitively rusty and that's that's hard to believe for someone with three major championships and who has you know double digit wins on the PJ tour but 
but it's been so long that he's put himself in that position that he just needs to get kind of reacquainted with that. And that's kind of what he's done over the past month. He's, he has by far been the revelation of 2021 in golf. This kind of this resurgence that he's experienced. He's, he's been one of my favorite players to, to cover over the past decade. And, and there was a lot of question marks heading into this year whether he was going in the right direction, whether he was done, whether he was ever going to win again, whether he had, you know, he's, he's coming up now. He has one more year left where he's going to have an exemption for for the open championship win that he had the British open in 2017. Like there was actual talk of is Jordan Spieth going to be able to keep his PGA tour card in the next couple of years. And so his, his resurgence has, has come from, kind of this really dark place that he was in. And, and I give him you know, a ton of credit. He is stuck with the same caddy and Michael Greller. He's stuck with the same swing coach and Cameron McCormick that he's had since he was 12 years old. And he's just kind of found it. And the hallmark of Jordan's game, a lot of people you know pay attention to that like mid, mid-range putting and his short game. The hallmark of Jordan's game when he's playing well has been his iron play. And the reason why he's won so many times and the reason why he has three majors is because he married what was the best iron player on uh, best iron player on the PJ tour in 2017 with just this lights out putting he's, he's hitting it the best and he's putting it the best. Like you're, you're just not going to beat that combination. That's what kind of what we've seen from Colin Morikawa at the PJ championship last, uh, last fall. And then of course uh, concession a couple weeks ago, great iron play and then really streaky and, and solid putting. That's kind of been Jordan's hallmark over his career. And that's what we've seen over this past, past month. And it's just been this stellar iron play. He's been top 10 in the fields that he's played in iron play through the past four weeks. He was great again at Bay Hill. He finished uh, in the top five there, not just on the leaderboard, but in iron play. So when, when you're looking at whether Jordan Spieth is going to have a good week, or whether he's going to be in contention for a title. Look at his iron play. If he's among the leaders in the field, in not just proximity to the hole, but but strokes gained approach, that's that's exactly where he wants to be. And so it, it really does feel like he's going to put it together a, a really good final round and get a and get a win soon. He's had chances now in Phoenix, Pebble. Uh, he was, I think, four shot, four or five shots off the lead heading into Riviera and kind of backed up there. Um, yesterday was just a brutal day, and he actually thought that he played he played a really good round of golf. He still finished inside the top five. So, I, you know, he's he's able to do it on Saturday. It's it's only a matter of time before he does it on Sunday. But it's just it's just so great to have him back in the conversation because he's he's one of the most popular players on the PGA Tour. He's one of the most interesting players on the PGA Tour. And so, for someone like me who has to that's to write about these guys for a living. It's it's great to see Jordan back in the mix. Yeah, it really is, and really hope he gets a win soon. I've I've certainly enjoyed following his career and watching him play uh, when he was at college there at Texas, and then just following him up to the PGA Tour. I wanted to ask you about Justin Thomas real quick. He's kind of been in a little bit of a slide lately. He's had the he's had a few unfortunate incidents come up here in the last couple months. Of, Losing his sponsor and and Ralph Lauren, and then uh, losing losing his granddad, which I know he was really close to, and then uh, Tiger being in his accident, he was him and Tiger really close. Just what is what what's the emotional toll that's been taken on him, and what does he need to do to kind of get back into competitive golf again? Yeah, that's I think that's really been one of the, the underreported stories is 
is kind of the toll that that you mentioned that it's taken on him. He had the homo uh, the homophobic slur, of course, at, at Kapalua, and the kind of the fallout that kind of followed him for a month, and it, it, it finally seems like he's able to to put that controversy behind him. And then and then what happens? His his grandfather dies, and so it's 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 really been a, a difficult uh, two or three months for for Justin Thomas, and a lot you know much of it has been self inflicted. Um, but, but obviously the, the loss of, of a family member is, is taking a toll on him as well. Obviously that was, that was Mike Thomas, his dad's father. And so, uh, it's, it's kind of been difficult for him to, to focus on golf, focus on his swing. It just seems like he's a little bit lost at the moment. I talked to him a couple of weeks ago at, at concession and it just, it just doesn't seem like his, his head is fully in it at the moment. Um, I'm, I'm sure that'll change. Um, you know, a lot of times when you're kind of in this downturn of form, it just takes like a, a little bit of a spark um, to kind of to kind of reignite the flame in him and, and get his get his competitive juices flowing again. Obviously, a huge tournament this week at the Players. The Masters is now only about 30 days away. This is you know coming into to really the meat of the PJ Tour schedule. Um, I'm not concerned at all, but but it, it it has been weird to see a player of Justin Thomas's stature and his caliber um you know he's just so solid all around in every aspect of his game he's seemingly always inside the top 10 top 15 on pj tour leaderboards it is just it is weird to see him a little bit of drift um but I'm, I'm sure he'll snap out of it soon he's just way too talented way too hungry way too competitive of a player to to let this linger for much longer yeah i think so dude so it's only a matter of time before before he puts it all back together and Talking to Ryan Wagner, staff writer for the Golf Channel, just wanted to ask you about the younger generation, uh, specifically Kyle Morikawa, Matthew Wolf, Victor Hovland, those guys. Kyle Morikawa won the PGA Championship. He won the WGC a couple weeks ago, and he's number one in strokes gain approach to the green. What do you see in his game and, and Matthew Wolf and Victor Hovland's games that think that uh, they could compete for majors and Matthew Wolf had a had the second place finish there at the U.S. Open, but does the fact that there are no fans or very limited fans give that advantage to them because they're not pressured by you know hundred thousand people screaming and yelling at them every hole? Does does that kind of calm them, or is the younger generation able to to produce more wins since there are no fans? I, I certainly don't think that it hurts. Uh, not having fans because it it does feel and I I cover a lot of college golf for uh, the golf channel as well. It like now we're starting to in, in, incorporate fans here in the last couple of weeks, but for the most part, it has felt like a college tournament in terms of just very limited spectators, just no juice or no energy. You're just kind of in your own little world trying to put up the best 72 hole total that you can. And so that's very relatable to, someone like Kyle Morikawa and someone like Victor Hovland and someone like Matthew Wolf, who are only two years removed from playing college golf. They're used to creating their own energy and their own momentum. And so when you get into, I, I think of the player uh, PJ championship last year, it, you know, that wasn't necessarily an unfamiliar feeling for, for Colin because it, you're just, you're just kind of teeing up and, and playing in front of 50 people. Like that's, exactly what he was doing down the road at Cal just a year and a half earlier. Um, and so I, I, I really do think it, it helps 
um, to have that situation. I'm not sure how long, how much longer it's going to last. And so I think they're going to have kind of this new environment where they're going to have to get, get used to the fans. I think they're, they're clearly talented enough players to, to make that adjustment. And, you know, they, they did have fans um, kind of when they first started on the PJ tour in late 2019, I think a Matthew Wolf went into three M uh, in one of the most dramatic finishes in recent memory on the PJ tour where you rehold it. Eagle put on the semi-second hole and the fans went absolute nuts. I think of, of those three, Matthew Wolf is the player that kind of feeds off that energy the most. Um, but Colin Morikawa is a, a top five player in the world. Victor Hovland is going to be a, a stalwart on many European Ryder Cup teams to come. Um, I think they're, they're talented enough that it doesn't make a huge difference, but I certainly don't think it hurt Colin Morikawa when he was going on to win his first major, the fact that, that there just weren't any spectators there. And it felt very much like a, a regular college tournament. I wanted to ask you, looking ahead, uh, kind of projecting forward to the Masters, it's only about 30 days away. And for the people that, that are listening to this you know, episode later, just kind of want to project ahead uh, for them. Some of the um, – who are the, the top uh, betting odds players to kind of win the Masters? And, and what do you see there in Augusta? I don't have it in front of, in front of me, but I'm, I'm assuming that Dustin Johnson is still the, the prohibitive favorite. He's he's kind of fallen off a, a little bit over the past couple of weeks. It, it's it pertains mostly to his driver. Uh, he's he's really struggling to to put the ball in play um, with his driver, which is which is very much unlike him. I think you have to put him as as one of the top three drivers of the golf ball on the PJ Tour, and he, he's just not hitting that patented fade. I'm sure he's going to figure it out. He doesn't have a great record at TPC Sawgrass, so I think the expectations for him this week are are probably a little bit lower. Um, but I think Dustin, who who won the Masters four months ago, uh, still has the green jacket. Um, I I would put him clearly as my as my number one favorite. His his record there over the past five or six years um, is is absolutely phenomenal. Brooks Kepka, I know he just withdrew from the players uh, with a little bit of a right knee strain. Uh, we've certainly seen him and find his form over the past couple of months as well one in phoenix about a month ago um he's got a very strong record augusta national as well justin thomas assuming that he is able to find his form a little bit uh those those to me would be the the top three picks and then you've kind of got this this weird middle ground i think you have to put jordan spieth now as as one of the favorites given the way that he's played that golf course over his career uh, Rory McIlroy is is a player who, as as we all know, is still searching for that final leg of the career Grand Slam at Augusta. Um, he hasn't quite put it together. He hasn't won now um, on the PGA Tour since October 2019, uh, which is kind of kind of hard to think about for for a player of his caliber. Just fall just fell outside the top ten in the world ranking. Um, had a chance on Sunday at Bay Hill and kind of retreated there. And so there's, I, I think there's. There's three players, and, and, Dustin, and Dustin might be in a, in a group all of, all his own, but there's there's three players in terms of, of DJ, Brooks, and, and Justin, who have kind of established themselves as the as the preeminent uh, Masters favorites. And then there's there's just a bunch of guys from like four to ten that I think over this next month, when you have the Players Championship, you have the WGC match play before leading into the Masters, that you're going to kind of get a better feel for for who can break out of that bunch from from fourth or ten and and kind of really establish themselves as as one of the tournament favorites. 
who would you say outside of 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 Tiger? I know he's a really popular player, but who would you say right now is the most popular player on the PGA Tour in in terms of fans? Um, I think this past month has really been has been eye opening in terms of Jordan's uh, popularity. I think it's it's easy to forget just how great he was from 2013 to 2017 when he, you know, when he first broke out on the PGA tour to, to winning the majors. And, and he kind of just has this, this aura about him. There's this, just this, this likability um, that, that a lot of players don't have and, and, and fans don't feel as invested in him. I think you know, we, we talked about this on, on one of the shows um, on, on golf today, a couple weeks ago, I think Jordan's likability and and kind of the the attraction that fans have to him is that it, it feels like he's he's always on the brink of disaster. It, it feels like he could pull off this heroic shot, or he could have just kind of this epic collapse, and you don't know what shot is coming. And so I think fans kind of gravitate to that. It just it seems like this constant roller coaster ride that's been his entire career and more times than not, he, he pulls off just this incredible magic, but there's also this, this volatility to him that, that makes him impossible to, to turn away from. So I, I think Jordan's very much that player. Um, obviously, obviously Rory, um, he, he's always been a, a popular player on the PJ tour. And now that the fans are starting to return, I think Bryson has, I'm not, he's not, he's not as liked, I would say, as, as a Jordan or a Rory is, but there's kind of a sideshow element to him and the showman element to him that people can't wait to go see what he's going to do next. The crazy lines he's going to take, the speed he's going to create, the distance that it's going to go. I mean, there, there is undoubtedly an element to an everyday fan that wants to see him in action. And I think that's one of the most, exciting elements of having i think this week they're, they're expecting somewhere between 10 to 10 to 12,000 fans a day is that over the past year you're just kind of watching it on TV or you're listening to someone like myself who's out there covering it but like you can't see it and experience it and experience Bryson's strides for yourself that's different now that fans can flock to events and see it up close and personal because you really do have to see it to believe it just how hard he is going after it. So I think you know, Bryson's never going to be 100% like he's, he's too polarizing of a personality, but I think the, the fact that he's doing what he's doing now on the PJ tour, is certainly making him one of the, the top attractions to go along with a player like, like Jordan and Rory. I know for me, it's, it's really exciting to watch Bryson play. I mean, he's, I've, like you, I wouldn't say he's the most popular player, but he's definitely the the most attractive player as far as being fun to watch. I mean, to me, I I like somebody that can hit the long ball just because I can't, and it's, it's just always been so fascinating to me just to watch him and 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 Roy McIlroy too, and and Matthew Wolf, those guys that can drive the ball three forty, three fifty off the tee. And before I let you go, I want to ask you about. Uh, one of the most iconic figures in the game, that's Tiger Woods. What have you heard on, on his condition and um, just what do you expect from him? I know he's talked about in the past just his livelihood, being able to participate in his kids' lives and, 
and play golf with Charlie and hang out with Sam and, and different things like that. Just what have you heard as far as his status and his prospects of being able to do that in the future? Yeah. You know, I think his, his competitive career in terms of playing on the PGA tour and playing in major championships really has just been put on the back burner. Um, he's facing such a long and grueling recovery now from, from having a shattered right leg, like his, his competitive career was already basically on its last lens anyway, just because of his back. I mean, before two days before he had this incredibly serious um, and, and devastating car accident, like he wasn't sure he was going to be able to play in the masters because his, his, his back was after his fifth back surgery was in, in such a poor place. He really hadn't ramped up his activity. And when, when Jim Nance asked him whether he was going to be at be a guess, he said, God, I hope so. You know, that's not a, that doesn't sound like a player who, who already was, was ready and willing and able to, to put in the time to really be a competitive force again. And then you throw in the prospects of having a, a very serious car accident and a recovery that isn't just a broken leg. I, I think the, the bigger element of his recovery is actually going to be his ankle and his foot as opposed to just kind of his his lower right leg needing to be repaired. Um, there's a, a an, an element to that recovery that's going to take at least a year before he can have the same mobility, same range of motion, the same strength and power. And so you're talking about a guy right now who's 45 years old, going to turn 46 in December. You're adding, you know, a, a, at least a year, probably closer to two years of recovery from his, his right leg. Like I'm not going to put it past him because I think we've learned our lesson not to, not to doubt tiger and, and what he's been able to do, but he's also not Superman. Like there was a lot of mileage on his body um, and so yeah, it's, it's hard for me to sit here at this point now, a couple weeks removed from the accident and say that I think he's going to be able to play on the PGA tour again. I think if he, if he can, he will. Um, but I think it, at this point, he just kind of wants to make sure that the, the second phase of his life and career are, are in a spot where he can just kind of play recreationally with, with Charlie, who for all intents and purposes, seems to be a pretty good player. Um, I, I think he has other interests that Tiger wants to pursue uh, with golf course design or, or kind of staying involved still with the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup and, and kind of being involved in that aspect. And so, uh, you know, thankfully, he's still with us. Uh, thankfully, his his kids didn't didn't lose a father. Uh, thankfully, you know, a lot of the people who were close to him didn't lose a friend. And, you, you know, I think we're just a long ways away from from projecting what his competitive career uh, will be just because so much is still unknown about the, the recovery aspect of, of what he's going to have to go through. I think we've talked about it before. I know Roy McElroy said it best. We're just, we're just so thankful that he's here, that he's still here and that his kids didn't lose a dad and his, his friends didn't lose a friend. And you no, know, we wish him the best and he's certainly in our thoughts and prayers going forward and, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today. I know you're making your way down to TPC Sawgrass and tell everybody where they can find you on social media and what can we expect from your writing there at the Golf Channel coming up. Uh, I I appreciate you having me on, Bennett. Um, I've got a uh, long story on 
um, the players championship shutdown. Of course, this is when, this is when the, the, the world kind of came to a halt a, a year ago with the coronavirus and the players championship got canceled. And then of course, golf shut down for the next about three and a half months. So I've got a long story on golfchannel.com. You can read my work all there, all, all week there from TPC Sawgrass, social media on Twitter at Ryan Labner, GC, Instagram, Ryan Labner, where if I'm not posting uh, pics of my dog or my, my two-year-old, I, I happen to throw some, some golf photos in there as well. So uh, I, I appreciate you, you giving me the opportunity to, to come on the podcast. Oh, you're welcome. And make sure to give Ryan a follow on, on Twitter and Instagram. And if you don't, if you don't like golf, there's a good chance you like dogs and babies. So go ahead and go ahead and give Ryan a follow there. Ryan, try not to get hit with a with a Deshevo drive and hopefully we can get you back on uh after the Masters and over the summer with you to kind of preview the the US Open and Open Championship with you. And just been a pleasure to have you today and stay safe and well. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate it, man. That was Ryan Ladner. Staff writer for the Golf Channel. Make sure to give him a follow on Twitter at Ryan Lavender GC, and continue to follow his work there at the Golf Channel. They do some outstanding writing. That whole staff of people does some outstanding work there covering the PGA Tour like no other. So make sure you check those guys out. It's almost time to get out of here. Thank you so much for checking out Crunch Time Plays today. If you enjoyed what you heard, if you had fun, make sure to follow me on Twitter at Shotgun726 and follow. Crunch Time Plays on Twitter, at Plays Crunch, and we're also on Instagram at those same uh, handles there. And make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you like. And we're coming to YouTube, so be on the lookout for a post there on social media about that. And we're going to have episodes starting with episode number eight with Paige Kuhn and then Joe Lenardi, Jamie Chadwell, Chris Budden, don't want to leave anybody out. So from then on, and then all of our next episodes are going to be on YouTube as well, except for this one with Ryan. It was audio only because he was joining us by phone today. But we're just so thankful to have you on board, and we'll see you next time right here on Crunch Time Plays. God bless everybody.